this series of values that we're looking at. You'll, you'll be aware of that, and you know that. We live in a world that is shaped by values, and uh, we are very conscious even this week, aren't we, of values that some people have held to shape their lives, shape their actions, their attitudes, their attitudes particularly perhaps to women, um, something we worry aware of, but there are many attitudes uh, and values that are shaped in our world, in the world in which we live. And uh, as a family of churches called Regions Beyond, we've had this little booklet that's uh, been given to us that we've been passing out, and we've been looking at some values that are straight from the Bible, and they're values that shape who we are, what we are, what we do, what we think about, um, how we act. And today we're going to look at two of those, just briefly, very uh, important subject really, which I want to pick up on this afternoon. I wonder if somebody could just get me um, a glass of water, um, that would be great. Um, the first value is this, enthusiastically servant-hearted. And here's the phrase, we're called to be servants who die to ourselves for the benefit of others. It's our longing to see this fully modeled in every aspect of life. Okay? Servant-hearted. And here's the other phrase, because I think these two go together. Humbly led by gifted leadership teams. Humbly led by gifted leadership teams. We recognize that God appoints elders and other leaders, and here's the word again, who serve the local church. And they gladly partner with apostolic teams those are building teams to help to bring the church to maturity in our worldwide mission. So those are two uh, values that I just uh, want to touch on, and particularly I want to touch on this word, servant. Philippians chapter 2. You will know these words, some of you, very, very well. Let me read them to you. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be marked or exploited, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it's your words to us. We thank you that it teaches us, it trains us, it rebukes us, it challenges us, it equips us. We pray as we spend a few moments opening your word, you can speak to our hearts.
expert who asked us to take his practice home. Amen. Now, we will be well aware when we read verses like that, they are extremely counter-cultural in the world in which we live. They are very different to many of the people that we work alongside and the worlds in which we live. We recognize that we live in a world where most people put themselves first. In fact, our culture across the world, certainly the Western world, is probably one of the most self-centered cultures that has ever existed in human history. It's all about me and mine. What I can get, what I can gain, and when I have it, how can I hold on to it? But the message of the Bible is very different. Very, very different to that. See, the Bible tells us to die to self and to be made alive to Jesus Christ. What it does is it replaces self-centeredness with Christ-centeredness. The Bible teaches us that strength is found in weakness, that the strong serve and defend the weak, that each of us are to no longer serve his or her own interests, but to serve the Lord Jesus, which is always the interest of others. Christians, Christ followers, are those who consider other people to be more important. To put others first before themselves. It's the very reason why we promote and encourage the value of being outward looking, not inward looking. It's challenging and provoking even to come here. We're, we're out of our comfort zone. Oh, I'm not in church. I'm not used to. Where's my seat? Where shall I sit? You know, it's wonderful that Steve noticed that most of you are sitting in different seats to where you would normally sit. But it's not a bad thing because it takes us out of our takes us out of ourselves. We promote that outward looking. That's why we want to bless this place because there are hearts to look at. We rejoice when we see self-sacrificial actions and lifestyles and people don't we we're encouraged by it not the self-centered why why do we value these things so much and if we do how can we grow in them why jesus is our great example jesus is the example that's why how do we grow we imitate him jesus whilst being fully God, did not consider his divinity a thing to be grasped. As you dig into the Greek word there, as you look at scholars have debated and discussed that word grasp, essentially it means that Jesus, although he was God in very nature, he did not take that Godness, all that he was, and use it to his advantage. Did not manipulate and control made himself nothing. It's an incredible scripture, Philippians chapter 2. Chose the opposite. Chose 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He chose for our sake, he who knew no sin to become sin. I've said this to you before, I will say it many more times. That is one of the most astonishing verses you will ever read in the Bible. He who knew no sin Astonishing. It came sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Incredible verse. 
greatest sacrifice ever made. God himself took on the very nature of a servant, took on humanity, he humbled himself, he lived among us. As one translator said, he pitched his tent in the refugee camp of humanity. He pitched his tent in the refugee camp of humanity. He literally reached out and touched the sickest of the sick, the poorest of the poor. He got on his knees to wash feet. Finally, utterly humiliated, hanging naked on a cross for us. There was no loincloth in the wheelbarrow. Became obedient the creator, the maker of the universe became obedient to death, suffering for the sin of those who despised and hated him. As the song that we used to sing goes, such love, such love for this world. And it's clear that in these verses that the Apostle Paul uh, is writing, Paul doesn't just want us to delight in the grace, undoubtedly there's incredible grace that is flowing from the cross, but there's something more. He wants us to grasp and he wants us to understand the kingdom that is being demonstrated, the kingdom example that is being demonstrated. And we realize that because he says your attitude, the apostle Paul says your attitude should be. There's something that I want to point out to you. There's something that I want to show to you. Jesus put us first. He gave himself for us. He humbled himself. He sacrificed his life for us. Through his death on the cross, Jesus demonstrated this self-sacrificial attitude. And Paul says, your attitude. Something for you to hear, to know, and to imitate, and to follow. We are called as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to imitate him. To put others first, to serve others, to humble ourselves, to sacrifice our life. This is Christ-likeness. The Apostle John calls it love. There's a lot of descriptions of love in our world today, isn't there? 1 John 3 verse 16, this is love, John. This is love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I've mentioned verses there, aren't they? What does this mean? How does this work for us day to day in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our families? I'd love you to discuss that in groups this week. Now, there's a word that we use a lot. It's used a lot in society today, the word equality. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. It's a very important subject. However, I want to come to scripture. Philippians 2, verse 3, says this. If you hear it, in humility, consider others equal to yourself. Is that what that verse says? In humility, Consider others better than yourself. You see, the Bible doesn't just suggest that we should all stop being self-centered. Come on, stop being self-centered. Everything will get sorted. The Bible goes further. It says others are to take priority over you. That challenges us. 
that is the contract in which we work. You see, it's possible, I think, for us to think that God is just looking for equality in the world. If only we could all be equal, then, then we would be much more like God. We would, we, we would have a, an equality, and that's what God wants. But I think that's to think about it in the world's understanding of that word. I believe what God is looking for is Christ-likeness. You see, equality means that you see others on a par or equal with yourself. Christ-likeness means that you see others more significant than yourself. Not, is this fair? Is this right with the That's your 50, that's my 50. No. That's your 70, that's my 30. Oh, oh, hang on a minute, that's not very useful. Who being in very nature God did not consider quality something to be used as an example. I was brought up with that great hymn. He could have called 10,000 angels. He had the whole of creation, he had the whole of the universe at his fingertips. But he did not consider equality something to be used in his advantage. Instead, he laid himself down. He laid himself down. He became a servant. In God's kingdom, God's economy, humility is the means by which we attain true greatness. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. It's an upside down message. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first. Okay, so Jesus is not saying it's wrong to be first. It's okay. You can be first. You want to be first? Whoever would be first must be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom, as a payment for men. Very radically different. Upside down. Want to be first? The way to glory, servanthood. The way up, down. The way to kingship, slave. Greatest demonstration of humility in all of history, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, verse 7. He became nothing. Through that self sacrificing act, though, the Father exalted him, made him great. His, now, his name is now the greatest name in all the earth. That every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In other words, whoever you can think of, wherever you can think of, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And it's the Father who's exalting. It's the Father who's raising as Jesus lays himself down. Now, one of the words associated Christian leadership is authority. These things are important for Christian leadership. It's a word that Jesus used, alright? It can be a bit of a nasty word, it can be a bit of a difficult word, the word authority. Not everybody likes it, but Jesus himself used it. Matthew chapter 28, he talked, when he commissions the disciples, he talks about authority. He talks about the authority that the Father has given him. Come back to that in a moment. And then he commissions them. He says, now go. Go with authority. 
But sadly, down through the 2,000 years of church history, authority has been a, a controversial subject, mainly because it has been abused and misused. But of course, Jesus modeled something totally different. None more so, of course, than in John chapter 13. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things, here it is, under his authority, under his power. Jesus had the authority, he had the power. So what does he do with this authority? What does he do with his power? He takes off his outer clothes, he gets a towel, he wraps it round his middle, gets down on his knees and washes the feet of his All authority in heaven on earth. All power, all authority. What does he do? Washes the feet of his disciples. Drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 12 it says, When he finished washing their feet, he put on his outer clothes, turned to his place. Do you understand what you what I've done for you? Can you imagine this disciple? No? Well, what are you doing? I have no idea. I'll come to Peter in a moment. I said, like, What is going on? You call me teacher and Lord. There it is. There's the authority. You call me teacher. You call me Lord. And rightly so. Well, that's what I am. I have authority. The Father has given me all authority. Now that I, listen to this phrase, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Can you hear that? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus taught and modeled that leaders were to be first and foremost servants. John Penn speaks of himself as a good shepherd. What did the good shepherd do? Lay down his life for the sheep. Gratitude. Slowly, bit by bit, the disciples begin to realize they are being called to come walk. Same way. When he washed their feet, they were shocked. Especially Peter, good old Peter. We love Peter, don't we? You know, he becomes indignant. Well, you're not going to wash my feet. That's the, the lowest job in the household. That's the, the smallest, uh, youngest. Uh, immature, lowest paid servant, they do the feet washing of the feet. Lord, if you're going to wash my feet, well, at least wash all of me. You know what I mean? What? Does Peter really know what he's saying? Lord and Master, teacher, washing. Pay not for good service. Jesus is the model for all of us. Not for leadership, for all Whether we have responsibility of leading a whole movement of churches, a local church, or any given area in the life of the church in any way, serving the people. Leaders are first and foremost shepherds who, like Jesus, they are gates to the flock to guard them from all sorts of harm. Verses about that in the New Testament talks about the role and responsibility of leaders, including correcting wrong teaching and wrong doctrine. Shepherds know their flock, they 
feed them well if necessary, they will lay down their lives for them. You can find all of that in John chapter 10. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is commissioning those first disciples who are now apostles being sent to be builders, to go as missionaries and builders, ultimately to the ends of the earth. He does so because of this authority that has been given him by the Father, and he gives them authority, gives it to us also to go as we are commissioned, we're given this authority. So these disciples were commissioned, we are commissioned to go with an authority, but it was an authority to shepherd, to feed, to care, to serve, not to dominate, not to control. Now we believe in leadership of all kinds and levels, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, black and white. Personally, it's my heart, one of my key parts is to encourage and promote uh, leadership and encourage people to come through in their giftings wherever possible. And I, I look forward to doing that more and more in the days ahead. But we must be clear for all of us that its primary function is to serve, not to lord it over others. Why it's so important value in our churches that we grasp and intentionally pursue this part serve. Church that is servant-hearted in the attitude at its core, it will have great opportunity, I believe, to reflect the Lord Jesus in the world, because it is the heart of the Lord Jesus. I believe there's much that God wants to lead us into as a church in the days ahead in learning how to serve the town in which he's placed us, the island in which he's placed us, the nation in which he's placed us. <laughs> Also, why just to conclude, really, it's really important. I do believe I look forward again teams growing all across our church. I'm not going to do a whole session right now on teamwork, but simply to say team is important. Why? Because it's, it's modeled, first and foremost, in the Godhead Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in submission and in harmony. It's a huge piece of teaching there on how the Godhead works together. I'll come to that another day. But we're not made to be on our own. We're called to reflect that nature and that heart of God. And I believe that we do that as we work together in community, as we work together in team. In team, you find accountability. The power is not all held in one person. It's a place of mutual encouragement, a place of mutual support. And it's my hope and my heart that many teams will be raised up um, in this church that will display Christ. To serve and prefer one another and serve and prefer right across the body of Christ. So that's where I want to leave it today. But I just want us to hear that, that heart of the Lord Jesus, who being in very nature God. Just to understand how he modeled to us and how he called us to be.